Hi, it's Phil here. Scott Miller is a really interesting fellow. He has charted a pathway for himself, which exemplifies in so many different ways the aspirations we have for learners in our time. He is a good person. He is a future builder. He's a continuous learner and unlearner. He's a solution architect. He's a responsible citizen. He's a team creator. He's a CEO at the age of 20. He runs his own company. He's just the sort of person that we want to be talking with about entrepreneurship. So let's go. Scott, welcome. Thanks for having me, Phil. And great introduction. I love it. I was like, oh, all of those things. Oh, put that on my LinkedIn. Um, no, such a pleasure to be here. Oh, look, it's delightful to have the opportunity to have an extended conversation with you over three episodes of this Game Changers special series looking at social leadership and entrepreneurship. Um, to be actually talking to somebody who actually qualifies as that notion of, a, of an entrepreneur. Um, to, can we start with that? What, what is an entrepreneur? That's a good question. And it's something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, for me, I, well, I looked up the definition the other day in preparation for this podcast, and I saw that an entrepreneur is someone that starts a business um, and takes risks in the hope of achieving profit. Um, now, I, I, find, I disagree with that a little bit. I think it's got some elements of truth. But for me, I really define an entrepreneur as someone that, is starting a business or a venture of some description um, with the idea and the goal of creating something bigger um, that's going to make a difference, make an impact and grow bigger than themselves. So tell me about the purpose of an entrepreneur then. I think an entrepreneur is similar to the definition, fundamentally a risk taker. Um, and I think that's definitely what sets them apart from a typical small business a lot. Um, an entrepreneur has often got many different things on the go. They're thinking big, they're thinking different, they're thinking outside of the box. And they're quite innovative um, in their approaches, which I know innovation is very much a buzzword, but I think it really means they're willing to go against the grain, do something that's not your traditional pathway. Um, but again, in that hope that they're going to create something that really makes a difference, really makes a change um, in some way, shape or form. And you haven't had a very traditional pathway, have you? Oh, not the most traditional pathways, no. Um, it's been quite a wild ride. So do you want to share with our listeners the stages that have taken you to where you are now? Because that might be a good thing for us to talk about in this first conversation, how you get to where you are right now. Absolutely. So I guess if I had to outline it, um, stage one would have been little Scott, like growing up, um, going through primary, uh, primary school as a pretty typical student. Um, then things started to change a little bit when I got into high school, um, in grade nine, when I started my business as part of a grade nine business program, um, selling keyrings at local markets. That's probably stage two. Um, stage three would be uh, when I found myself in the hologram space, um, running one of Australia's leading holographic entertainment companies by the time I was in grade 12, um, stage three. And I'd say stage four um, is similar to where I am now after graduating high school and venturing into the education space. Yeah, so that'd probably be the four stages that I would put my journey into. So let, let's go back pre-key ring because I'm really interested because we've got lots of primary educators who, who like to listen to our sort of stuff. What in your history as a younger student marked you out as somebody who was more likely to head down a different, exciting, innovative, risk-taking, growing purpose rather than a steady-as-she-goes purpose? Yeah, good question. Um, for me, I think it started even from a really young age. My 
parents always talked about something as simple as my parents always talked about business at the dinner table. Um, my mum works in HR and my dad used to run his own small business, like importing fiberglass and building materials um, from Europe and selling them in Australia. So I remember even from before I can remember at the dinner table, they'd always just be chatting about work and they'd always be talking about these concepts that I never really understood. But I think that kind of put me in good stead to when I actually started to learn about business and take business as a subject, it was drawing a lot of that prior experience. And I was always exposed to business from a very young age. It wasn't something that seemed foreign. It was something that was exciting. Um, and I got to see like dad going on business trips. I was like, wow, that looks really cool. He's getting to travel for this, like for the job he does and mom doing the same thing. And, um, it was just always interesting hearing about that as a kid. But I think one of the main things that really, that's something that I think a lot of parents will do is they'll talk about business at the dinner table. Um, I think they're a very unique experience for, my own, of, for myself was um, growing up in China. So when I was in grade three, um, I moved to China for about two years and spent two years growing up in Shanghai, um, going to the British International School there. And that was part of mum's work. Um, she is in a HR role and she was overseeing an Asia Pacific project. So we moved to Shanghai for her work. And it was just fascinating, like growing up in China at an international school just exposed me to all these different students um, from different cultures, different backgrounds and different ways of thinking. And I think it was at that point that I very much embraced that global mindset um, of, wow, like the whole world is so connected. Um, Australia, whilst we are physically far away from everyone else, I think the world as a whole is so interconnected um, and there are all these different cultures, all these different people that think so differently. And I think as well, like it put me in a really interesting position where I was watching mum getting to travel all around the world for her job and do these really amazing things. And I kind of saw business as that vehicle. And I think that's very much where I got my work ethic from, where even now um, I've had my entire time growing up, I thought if I work as hard as mum does, I'll be able to get the awesome opportunities, opportunities that mum's had. So how old are you at this stage? Uh, I was eight to 10 years old when I was in China. So you're eight to 10 years old and you're already starting to think about things like global connectedness and you're starting to see yourself in the role of your parents and so on. That's not typical for an eight to 10 year old, is it? No. Well, I think a lot of it, like my parents have always put a very high value on education. My mum comes from, like she grew up on a farm way out west um, in Queensland on the Darling Downs. And she's the only one from her family that's gone and had a university, gotten a university degree. And because of that, like she has done some really amazing things in her life. And she's attributed all of that to university, like getting a degree and getting a good education. So I think growing up, that's where mum and dad really have instilled in my sister and I the fact like the value of a good education and even when we were over in China that was what we always kept hearing was like mum and dad both had like had very good ed like had gone to university gotten degrees had good jobs and were able to um, provide these opportunities so it was just something that was very much ingrained in me from a really young age. So did you feel different to other kids in that respect? I, 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 think, I, I don't mean that to you yeah. like a really personal question but but did, did, did it feel different? It was interesting. I think in China, it was different in two different ways. Um, so I felt very different when I was in China compared to other students. Um, a lot of students over there were like expat kids. Um, they were kids that traveled around the world with their parents. Like they might spend 12 months in Shanghai and then they were going to move to San Francisco for 12 months and then Singapore for 12 months and Dubai for 12 months. So they had like grown up traveling around the world and because of that, like Shanghai was the only, the only other place I'd lived. I felt very different. I was like, oh, I'm just this Australian kid that's come for Australia. I'm not like the other kids. But at the same time, I also realized that 
Australia has a really great education system. Um, over there, we were doing the British curriculum. Um, I was a very, like, I think I was a relatively switched on academic kid back in school. Um, our school did extension classes, so they did streaming, um, where by the time I was in grade three, I was separated out to the extension class, which was the top 20 or 30 kids in a cohort of 120. So I was pretty switched on, but I just found over there that the content that we were learning wasn't challenging at all. I kind of kicked back those two years and just put my feet up and I was like, Psh please easy so it was yeah different in two ways but then coming back to Australia I think that's when I really noticed it that I had so many friends that thought so differently and that experience growing up overseas really did separate me from the rest like I still have friends now as a 20 year old um, that will call me up and be like oh Scott I'm going down to Sydney for a holiday like this is stressful what am I doing um, and I'm like oh please like, guys just jump on a plane um, so I think that was really where I started to realize that I was a little bit different Okay, because I want to explore this a, a, a little bit if we can. And we, we're going we're gonna to talk key rings and holograms shortly. Mm. But I, I want to explore this notion of difference. So there's a neuroscientist by the name of Gregory Burns who's written a very good book called Iconoclast, which I think I might have mentioned to you in a previous conversation. And he maintains that if you look at the brains of people who see the world differently, they have an experience of the world that is different to other people, it's perhaps around about two and a half percent of the population, and they have a different risk appetite. They lean into risk when others lean back from it. They get excited by things. They're able to make connections and draw connections and all the sorts of things that you're talking about to me right here. If we're talking to educators in and around, part of the challenge is to say, is everybody an entrepreneur? If they are, what do we do for them? If they're not, which I suspect is the case, because there aren't many Scott Millers going around, let's be honest, there, are, there, 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 there aren't that many. How do we support a Scott Miller through school? And then for other students, what, what are the types of skills that we can share with them that will be relevant and useful, but not necessarily on that, high you know, that, that, that sort of high-powered pathway that you've ended up in? Absolutely. Um, and I think as far as like how you nurture this, in, how you nurture a student like me or a student necessarily not like me, I think it's all around curiosity. Even from a really young age, what I loved about, like I must admit, I loved about being in the extension classes. I had teachers my whole school and career that challenged me to think different, that would have really mature conversations with me at a really young age. I wasn't just treated like a student. And because of that, it was fascinating. Like I learned to form opinions on different topics and I learned to explore and never really take one. It was that whole idea of like never reading a news article and just agreeing with it. Like I was taught to be curious and say, well, that's their opinion, but let me do my own research and form my own opinion. And I think that's probably one of the most powerful tools or skills that I learned through school um, was the curiosity and the um, desire for like, the desire to learn I mean to form my own opinions um but I think as far as like nurturing a Scott Miller it'd be around yeah giving them that opportunity treating them like an adult necessarily talking down to them like a student and not being afraid to have those really intellectual conversations with them even if they are just a student or a child um but I think as far as entrepreneurship goes like I think every student regardless of whether they're going to become the next Elon Musk or Richard Branson should have those entrepreneurial skills. I always see entrepreneurship as a skill set. Um, whilst it's great for those that want to go and start a business, I think every student needs to have some of those entrepreneurial skills, whether they're going to be a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, or an um, accountant, because their skills around critical and creative thinking, around being able to communicate your ideas clearly, um, work in a team and delegate roles. And I think 
those are all skills we can teach in a myriad of ways, but entrepreneurship is just one vehicle to do that. But I think for students like a young Scott Miller, they're a really effective vehicle um, because that's how I started as part of a grade nine business project. It was doing exactly that, starting a small business. And it was something there that just clicked for me and said, where I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. All right. So walk me through the steps of that, if you can, because selling key rings. All right. Why? Why key rings? Okay. So... Pretty much part of my school's business program um, in year nine was in term four, we got into groups, we developed products, we wrote business plans for them, and we pitched them to our business teachers for $100 investment. And now these products were not groundbreaking by any means. Um, like my group and I, we started selling key rings, which were made on our school's laser cutter, and they had a little hashtag and a word after them. So you could have hashtag sassy, hashtag fill, um, hashtag COVID, anything like that. Um, in any colour you wanted. And we started selling around our school's community for about $4 each. And within a term, we made about $400 profit, which was pretty sweet as a group of 14-year-olds. We got to split the profit and go mad on a school tuck shop. It was like hot chips, sausage rolls every day, which is pretty cool incentive for a 14-year-old. Yeah, absolute heaven, really, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. And I was one of those kids that was super overcommitted at school. Like, I was a very academic student, but I also was involved in performing arts And I was also involved in a lot of sports. So I was the kid at school at six in the morning for swimming or running training and at school until six at night with musical rehearsals, debating or something like that. So I didn't really have a lot of time to get a job. And I was also too young being a 14 year old. So I thought, what can I do to start making money? Because I want to go out, I want to buy more tuck shop. I want to go to the movies with my friends, but I don't have time to get a regular job. And my friends that do always complain about it. And for me, it was just, oh, hearings. Like I made $400 profit in a term why don't I just keep doing that? So I saved up $35 of pocket money and got my first market stall um, just in Brisbane on a Saturday morning and started selling these key rings. So there's something in there, isn't there, which is intensely pragmatic. There's something in there which is pretty driven. And then there's the seeing it through. Because part of the challenge of being a kid is you try stuff and it's hard to, it's hard to see things through. Has that come to you naturally or has that been something that you've learned over time oh that's a good question I think for me it's something that I very much even since I was oh since I was little I've always very much cared what people thought about me um like I've been very acutely aware of how people perceive me and what people think about me and I've always wanted to be someone that was seen as giving everything their all and a bit of a perfectionist in a way so I think what really fueled me to really see it through was the that like failure was not an option like if I tried this and I failed I would forever be known as that kid that tried to start a business and failed at starting a business so I think that was as weird as it sounds that social pressure is really what drove me to see it through so there's an external motivation for you at that point which is linked directly to your your sort of social standing your perceived social standing and 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 reputation that's um lots of us are driven by exactly that sort of thing uh, in and around what 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 do you think it is that motivates you more than anything else now or back then you can tell me both if you liked I think now what motivates me more than anything else is the impact that we're making um, it's being able to hear these heartwarming stories from our students and knowing that if we weren't out there doing what we're doing these students might never have these opportunities to really like find their passion but I think back then it was the it was the ability to not be treated like a student. Um, Like the school I went to, it was very much like you're a student, you sit in your student box, you come to school, you do your assignments and that's that. 
And it was very strict and that was kind of what it was like. But I found as soon as I started my business, either when it was going out to markets or whether it was doing events later down the track in holograms is I wasn't treated as Scott the student anymore. I was just Scott. Like I was treated like an adult. I was treated like a business person and my age and my background weren't a barrier to that at all. Um, and I think that was what really drove me was, and I think actually to an element now, to, to a point now today where it's business, like running my business and entrepreneurship has kind of unlocked things that unlocked things for me that no typical teenager would ever have been able to do. Which is all terrific. And you'll excuse me continuing to just dig deep into this sort of stuff here because it's, it's, it's just such a good opportunity to get inside the mind of an entrepreneur and the heart of an entrepreneur and to think about what turns you on and how then somebody who's involved in a mentor or a teaching role can, can, can do the things that need to be done. Can you think about a teacher or some teachers, and you might choose to name them if you like and give them a bit of a shout out or you might want to keep it anonymous, some of the things that teachers were able to do to encourage you to do the things you felt necessary to do at a, at a, at a precociously early age. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think definitely like it goes all the way back to my year three teacher, like Mrs. Wimhurst, I will never forget. Um, and she was that teacher that always encouraged me to be curious. I remember as a, as a year three student, like as a group of eight year olds, she would have these debates with us and she would have different like she used to do this timeline continuum activity where she would pose a topic um and at that point as a group of year eights it was topics that were relevant to us but things around like the tuck shop should only ever sell healthy food and we had to go like this side of the classroom was strongly agree this side was strongly disagree and we had to put ourselves somewhere on that continuum and it could be slightly agree it could be like anywhere on there but wherever we stood, we had to be able to justify and debate our position. And I think that was going back to what always taught me to have my own opinion on things. Don't just follow the crowd because I, I might get picked as the person that has to justify why I'm standing there on the continuum, but also too, to think about these different um, issues and these different questions. So I think from that early of an age, that was really one of the fundamental experiences, fundamental teachers that taught me turn me into who I am today. Um, but I think even as a year 10 student, um, there was a teacher at our school that connected me with the local co-working space. At that point, I was just selling earrings. It was nothing special. Um, but I remember he reached out to a friend that worked. He had a friend that worked in a local co-working space here in Brisbane and said, hey, I've got this student at my school. He's started his own business. He's got a bit of an entrepreneurial spark. Would you mind jumping on a call with him? And I jumped on a call with um, someone from this co-working space and they said, wow, that's fantastic. Do you want to come in? Like just hang out on your school holidays. And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And I just remember going in as this 15 year old and connecting with other entrepreneurs, other freelancers and other innovators and having those sorts of conversations where I wasn't Scott the student, I wasn't being talked down to. I was just having conversations with them as an equal, but hearing about the amazing work they were doing. And I think it was at that point where I realized, wow, like, being an entrepreneur, like starting a business is a viable career pathway. I'm not going to be like we always see in the movies, like living in my parents' garage um, or basement and like tinkering with things um, in the blue light. Like I can actually go to really cool co-working spaces, meet interesting people. And I think that was very much where I found my tribe. So you're, you're, you're seeing yourself in a particular way. And it's interesting, isn't it? That part of the way you see yourself is not as a follow-up, but as a leader, or as at least as a thought leader, but you're also acutely aware of what other people think about you. 
So you've got this sort of push me, pull you thing going on where you're still connecting and you're still relating to other people, but you're also not afraid to hold your own opinions about something. Can you give me a a little bit of an insight into how organised you were as a young boy and then as a a sort of an early teenager? Let's take it up to about 14. Were you any any good at time management? Um, so Scott from a young boy up to about 14, I was always that kid that was immaculately groomed. I had great posture. I was very well spoken and I had very good manners. And I think that was something dad, like that was something dad very much instilled in me. Um, it was always like whether knowing how to use a knife and fork and eat dinner correctly was very important. He would always pull me up for posture saying things like, um, and like all that sort of stuff. So I walked around great posture, like very well groomed hair and all that sort of stuff, like that sort of a student. And I was that kid that hated getting in trouble. Like if a teacher so much as like gave a like dirty look my way, I was like on my best behavior for the rest of the day. So I hated getting in trouble. But as far as organization, I actually wasn't too organized. I was a very last minute sort of kid. Like I was that kid that was up cramming for an exam before, like the night before. Um, And yeah, that was very much me as a student. I'm not necessarily convinced that that makes you disorganised. It might actually just make you efficient with your time, particularly if you've got a particularly busy timetable. I think, you know, the life is full of um, people who start early and, 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 and finish late, you know, and it's, I'm not sure that you can necessarily learn to be one or the other. You just learn to work with that which you have got. When you were a young guy, can you remember not succeeding at something? what it was and how you approach that. Oh, yeah. Um, for me, funnily enough, it was actually it was actually singing, funnily enough. So I was a massive musical theatre sort of nerd. Um, and I like so I did singing, I did dancing, I did acting. Acting was very much my core. Like I was a great actor, really enjoyed it. And had a great time every time I was on stage. And I remember when I was probably in grade seven or grade eight, like 15, 15 years old. Um, I, oh, sorry, not 15 years old. I was about 14 years old, um, 13, 14 years old. And I wanted to start singing. And I had one of my friends was a really, really good singer. Um, he was my age as well. And I did all these singing lessons, but I was never as good as he was. And it always just frustrated me to no end. Um, and I kept like, was doing all these singing lessons. I was practicing and I just couldn't for some reason. I, was, I could never go- get to where he was at. Um, and then what I learned to do was I actually learned to lean into my strengths a little bit more. So I was like, look, I might not be as good of a singer as he is, but I can really put on a show when I'm performing. So like I could carry a tune. Like I was an okay singer. I just wasn't like, he would always get picked before I would for a solo or something like that. So I was like, you know what, what I'll do instead is I'll lean into my strengths of acting and I'll really put on a show when I'm performing. So I'm not just going to like stand there next, like stand there at the microphone and sing. I'm going to like grab the microphone, I'm going to stroll on stage, like put on a bit of a show while I'm singing. And it was very much like I got intensely frustrated by it. I tried everything I could, but I then decided, you know what, lean into my strength. And is this something that you kind of worked out yourself or, or was there a mentor there to help guide the way for you? Uh, there was definitely a mentor that was there and a few different ones of them. Um, I remember my singing teacher was incredibly charismatic. Um, he'd always talk about smizing, like smiling with your eyes. And he did a lot of work with me on like, he was very much into performance, but for some reason, I was one of the few students of his that really 
took that and ran with it when it came to the performance element. Like he had some great singers that really struggled with the putting on a show, but I was one of those students that I wasn't necessarily the best singer, but I was able to put on that show. Um, and there are a few different mentors that I would just take bits and pieces of their feedback, not all of it, but I don't know. I kind of, even from that age would take different mentors feedback with a grain of salt um, and take different elements. I might not take all of their feedback, but I might say, look, there were three really good points that I want to pull out from that. Um, and I'm going to incorporate that into myself. That's a very, uh, that's a very uh, mature way of looking at things. At, uh, at my grizzled old age, I still struggle with being able to take things as objectively as that. So it's, it's very, very impressive, Scott. Um, let's talk about performance. Do you think that performance is an essential element of being successful at presenting yourself in a business context? Yeah, I think, well, definitely execution is everything like I think we have everyone has ideas like everyone has business ideas and there's this Richard Branson quote that says ideas are like buses like if you miss one you'll catch the next one because they come and go and I think that's why whenever like whoever you talk to they've probably had an idea for a business at some point but it's all around executing it and actually running with it um so I think that's absolutely key for a business person because you'll see there are so many and I see it like all across the country and around the world in different startup spaces is you have these people that go to all the events and have all these ideas but never actually do anything and it could go a year two years three years and they still haven't done anything um I always say like you've sometimes just got to start it might not be the perfect idea or the perfect time but I think what for me I look for in students that like that set someone out set someone apart from the rest is someone that has started whether or not it's a world changing idea whether or not it's the best, the best time for them to start it. It's the fact that they've actually just taken an idea and run with it and started executing. I think that speaks volumes. So if I put all of this together so far, I'm, I'm getting this sort of picture. It starts with curiosity. It goes to opportunity. With opportunity comes the capacity to see difference. There's got to be some drive in there somewhere. And then it, it's execution. So curiosity, opportunity, seeing things differently, drive and execution. If I look at the role that adults who have been influential in your process have played. It's about creating avenues for you, providing feedback, but also letting you take the ball and run with it, so to speak. Absolutely. I think, yeah, it's helping nurture me to a certain point, but then when I start running with it, being able to step back and be like, look, we're here if you need us, but this is your opportunity. Um, Really take ownership of that. If there was what we would call a character apprenticeship, so it's the notion of, an apprentice going to an expert to say, hey, help me, I need to get my competency up in this sort of way. And the expert is is modelling, they are coaching and they are scaffolding. So they're showing you how to do it, they're coaching you through it, they're providing you with some structure around that. You've got room to articulate, you've got room to explore, you've got room to create meaning for yourself. But then as soon as you can, you're off and doing your thing and taking that expertise yourself. As you've gone on through the way, have you tended to take other people with you? That's a good question. I think so, but I think as well, it's been very much always looking forward. Like even with my mentors, for example, like I've got one of my mentors, I've actually had um, like he and I still catch up on a daily basis. Like we work in a similar sort of space and he's about 10 years older than I have than I am. Um, and I've known him since I was about 15. So definitely like I've stayed with him for a really long period of time because he's continued to grow and evolve as well as I have. And he's kind of been that aspirational goal where I'm like, okay, he's 10 years older than I am. Like if I work really hard, I can be at that level. And then we've kind of kept um, in touch, but even with like my mentors, I'm continually growing and evolving. Like, 
I, I wouldn't be where I am without my mentors. Um, from when I started to where I am now, I've always had mentors with me and learned with them. Um, so it's been continually like grab it, like finding new mentors that continue to push me to be better, to be different. And I think it's that whole idea of you become the culmination of the five people you spend the most time with. So it's me always making sure I'm keeping myself in check being like, okay, who am I spending the most of my, the majority of my time with? And are they challenging me to be better, to do more and to, um, yeah, to be what I want to be when I grow up. So are you acting as a mentor to others along the way as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've definitely got a few different young entrepreneurs that I love to mentor. Um, and it's interesting, like some of them are young entrepreneurs, but others, others are just young professionals. Um, again, taking that whole idea where they're very entrepreneurial in what they do, but they just don't really have any desire to start their own business. Um, but yeah, for me, it's definitely when I look for, like when I, when someone approaches me about being a mentor, it's all around looking at, do they, do they have the values that I have myself? Because I think your mentees are very much a reflection of you. Um, so I've been very careful in selecting like who these mentees are. And, and what, what values would you say that you stand by more than anything else? I think it always comes down to the whole idea of being a good human. Um, I think the mad men days of business where people are stabbing each other in the back to try and climb the ladder. I really disagree with that. Like I think you can do amazing things and be a good human at the same time. So I always look for people with an open mind um, that are inclusive, that are willing to listen um, to other people's opinions and expect and respect other people's thoughts are really important. Um, but I think people that are always, I can count on to always put their best foot forward. I think for young entrepreneurs, like we're going out there and we're still fighting very much every conversation we have to show adults the power of young people. I think whilst we've come a really long way with like business people respecting the voices and opinions of young people, there are still a lot of adults out there who might not have ever talked to a young entrepreneur before. So every meeting we go into, we need to be putting our best foot forward and showing them that, Hey, we might be young, but we are able to really hold our own. Um, it's really important. But I think with a lot of young people that I work with and I, one of the things that I really try and instill in them is that whole idea of there's a very fine line between confidence and arrogance and I think that's where a lot of young people start to fall one side or the other. Um, some of them come across as quite arrogant, whereas I think what we're all trying to do is just show that we're confident. Um, so it's looking at, for me, I always look for mentees, people that can be a bit, um, that can be like a sponge and just absorb information is really important. Not needing to go in puffing out their chest like they know everything and they have all the answers, but going in there wanting to ask questions to find out more and to learn. So have you struggled with that arrogance one at all? I have. I always very much like try and keep myself in check. Um, I know around Brisbane, there are a lot of, there are a couple of young entrepreneurs in particular that have fallen on that arrogant side of the line. Um, and I quite often monitor their social media and just look at it and put my head in my hand and go, oh my gosh, like that's shocking. But I always use it as a bit of a check. So I, I always look at that and I go, I make sure, I hope I never, ever like that. Um, and I've got a really good group of friends that will really keep me in check. Like if I'm ever getting too much of a big head, they can smack me back down. Um, but if I'm ever having a really bad day, they can lift me up a little bit. So I think that's around just having a really good sounding board of friends um, or even as a team, as like my team as well, that aren't afraid to tell you if you're getting a bit of a big head. That's a, that's a very, very helpful thing. I think um, I think when I was a younger man, perhaps, perhaps around your age, people might have mistaken a certain directness in tone for arrogance, but then um, it's always very helpful when someone brings you back down to earth. Sometimes they need to be uh, 
even more direct with you, and that, that, that can smart a bit at the time, can't it? Hey, take, take me, so you're, you're 14 and making some good pocket money out of selling key rings because you saw the opportunity. Not, not, not the most innovative idea in the world, but you saw an opportunity and you had the model and you were able to push it through and, and do the stuff that needed to be done. By the time you're 18, you've got a holographic entertainment company. Now, just, just, just for the last part of this conversation, walk me through that one because that's, that's quite a transformation, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. So pretty much what I was doing as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old was going out to local markets. Every Saturday morning, I'd set up my store for a couple of hours. Some weekends, I'd make $40. Other weekends, I'd make $400. But I just kept reinvesting that back in the business, taking a little bit of a little bit of it um, to go to the movies with friends where, if and where I needed. Um, but really kind of got to the point where I started selling it on eBay and Etsy um, using e-commerce. And it started just the first couple of um, months, we'd sell a handful of key rings a month. Then it got to a few hundred key rings a month and a few thousand key rings a month. And by the time I was about halfway through year 10, we were selling a few thousand key rings a month to countries and companies around the world. Um, I had one point, the school was like, Scott, we love you dearly, but we need to use the school's laser cutter for actual student assignment um, assignments. I'm like, oh, yeah, they're cool. And this, so is, a, this, is, saved... this, is, a, this is at Sheldon College, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. With the, with the amazing um, Dr. Lynn Bishop. I'll just, this is a shout out to Lynn because I, <laughs> I, I think she's terrific. And it's a very, very fine school. So please carry on. Oh, you're, phenomenal. You're, you're, using, you're using the laser cutter too much. Absolutely. I'm li- pretty much living in the school's design labs um, and it got to the point where I needed to buy my own laser cutter. So I've saved up around three and a half thousand dollars from the keyring sales, bought this like cheap crappy laser cutter off eBay, um, got it home and set it up in dad's backyard. And there's a whole other story there about the laser cutter dying on me and me, re- me having to rebuild it, but we'll save that for another time. Um, and yeah, it was just pumping out laser, like pumping out key rings in dad's backyard. I'd get home from school and just sit on the laser cutter doing my assignments while I had key rings cutting out. Um, I'd invite friends over on weekends and we'd just like watch movies and package these key rings up to send out around the world. Um, but from there, I was like, look, this has been fun, but I don't want to be selling key rings for the rest of my life. I want to do something exciting. And for me, that was tech. Now, I'm not a techie kid at all. Wasn't great at coding. Um, and tech wasn't an exciting subject at school. Like it was taught quite poorly. Um, and I kind of went in there, like I kind of thought technology, working in technology or running a tech business means sitting in a dark room, like smashing out code all day. And I remember my tech teacher um, introduced me to coding. And I remember one term, they said, look, here's a 56 page document with screenshots of code from my computer, copy it from this um, PowerPoint into your computer and you'll get like a blog by the end of it. And I remember they said to, they said to us like, come on, bear with us and we'll just get through the term. And that was my introduction to tech and coding. So I had no desire to be a tech person, um, but I was very creative, very hands-on. So I jumped on YouTube, typed in cool tech tutorials and found a tutorial teaching me how to make holograms out of some cut out CD cases. So I went downstairs, raided mum's CD case cabinet and started cutting them up and taping them together. And within a night, I had a jellyfish floating in midair on top of my phone. I'm using nothing but some CD cases, a bit of tape and a YouTube video. And I thought, this is fantastic. Like if a non-techie student like myself can create this, imagine what it's capable of. So I took it to my school's design teachers again. And I said, hey guys, I'm back. Um, and I said, look, I built this thing. Can you help me turn it into a real product people might actually pay money for? So I spent every morning, every lunch, every afternoon in our school's design labs for about a week um, prototyping. And within a week, we launched our first product, Um, put it up on eBay and Etsy and said to my customers, I said, guys, I have no idea what you're going to use this for, but can you send me some photos and videos for it of inspiration? 
And within a couple of um, days, we had parents over in the UK sending us photos and videos of the holographic pets they'd created for their kids, um, where their student could be like their child could be falling asleep at night and have a jellyfish or a puppy dog running around on their bedside table um, as they fell asleep on a hologram. We had teachers in Singapore using it to teach their students. We could have Winston Churchill or Cleopatra standing inside the classroom talking to you. Um, but here in Australia, we had a lot of events and marketing companies reaching out. Um, one of which was the events team of a luxury car brand. Um, they said, hey, Scott, there was two weeks after we'd started selling these holograms. And they said, hey, Scott, we'd love to um, place a big order with you. Can you come in for a meeting ASAP? So at this point, I just started year 11. Um, I pulled on my best pair of jeans, marched into Brisbane City, um, took the next morning off school. And they sat me down and they said, hey, Scott, we've got this big event coming up in two weeks time. We want to order 200,000 holograms from you. And we have about half a million dollars to spend. What can you do for us? And at that point, I nearly like fell out of my chair. I'm just calculating how much touch up I can buy with half a million dollars. Um, I was like, you know what? I might just buy the school tuck shop. Like that's a good business idea. Um, but then they started quizzing me about my supply chain, my risk mitigation, who my investors were, where my factories were set up. And I said to them, I said, guys, I'm 16 years old. I've got a rundown laser cutter in dad's backyard. And I've got a math exam in about an hour and a half. So like, I don't know how we're going to make this work. Do you want to sign on the dotted line now? Or how's this going to work? And instead of laughing me out of the room, which I fully expect them to do, it was really cool because they said, no, we understand that your generation, Generation Z, you think about tech so differently. You're part of the digital natives. And we want to harness those ideas to help us stay ahead in this innovation economy. Um, so we sat down, we started looking at what sort of holograms we were going to build and just started getting out to as many events as possible. And it got me to, by the time I was in grade 12, missing about five weeks of school every term, um, traveling around the world to do all these different events. I'd go from partying with the prime ministers in a club in Bangkok, um, flying back to Brisbane and getting a detention for missing a due date on my assignment um, to presenting to the executive team of Kellogg Cereals in Sydney, flying back to Brisbane and going into an exam that afternoon. So it was very much, I always say it's like the Hannah Montana life, but with business. Um, it was a really cool experience. Oh, and I'm glad you got that detention. I'm very, very glad you did. Because you, you clearly <laughs> learned a lesson from it, didn't you? Clearly learned a lesson. Oh, yep. <laughs> I want to I add a couple of things in. I want to wrap up this conversation as I, as I can because we, we're, we're almost up to the present day and, and I think that would be a good thing to talk about next time. We started with the notion of curiosity and opportunity, of seeing difference in the drive and then the execution. Within the execution, though, there's three things that I think are really important that are coming out of this. The first is process. Now, you seem to have this really innate understanding of, you know, there are four steps to this and three steps to this. We need to do this and pilot this and prototype this and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of which is about seeing possibility, um, you know, it's, and, and, and that's really, really important. Um, and then the final one is promotion. Because you got clearly you got to be able to promote yourself, but you just you, you seem pretty comfortable with promoting yourself very honestly. You know, you're not trying to puff yourself up too much. I mean, you know, there's a, there's there's an element to all of this sort of stuff where you've got to be prepared to be the big person in the room. Because if you you know, it's the Matthew principle. You know, to, to those who have, shall more be given. So you've got to play the part there. But you seem very honest in how you handle all of this sort of stuff. Do you think that's a key to success? Do you think people respond to well? to that i think it's just like authenticity and being really genuine really likable and really approachable like it just comes down to being a good human um and i think people can really see authenticity and people really like authenticity and for me i just try and be as authentic as possible but also too like never being yeah like never always being as likable as possible as well like 
I try not to have, like, even if I do have controversial thoughts and opinions, packaging it in a way where, it, again, it just comes back to understanding everyone has different opinions, different experiences and different views on certain topics and respecting that and understanding that, but learning from it. Like, I'm always fascinated when I hear people, like, I've got a lot of family members that still don't believe in renewable energies. And at the family Christmas table, I sit them down, I'm like, but why? Like, I'm intrigued. I just want to find out more. Um, so it's that, yeah, constant curiosity. Uh, it sounds like, it sounds like we found the title for our, uh, for this episode, just as it's coming to a close, a good human and a good learner. Scott, thanks so much for sharing, uh, uh, of yourself, um, in this conversation so far, but it'd be really great if you could come back and have another conversation with us about where you're up to now and, and what that looks like. Thank you. It's been, it's been, it's been an education. Oh, such a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Phil. The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and supported by Circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. Go to www.circle.education. The podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. It's distributed through Spotify, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends you like what you're hearing.